0: Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. I'm Cody Fields, the president of the Nose family of guitar effects. Check us out at westminstereffects.com, and I'm here with...
1: This is Bradley Cox, lead pastor at Resurrection
2: Church in Greer, South Carolina. And this is John Ross, Lutheran John from Lincoln, Nebraska, mediocre musician and theological curmudgeon. So guys, the thing I wanted to talk about today is a continuation on our uh, our trend of discussing the components of the worship service. So to this point, we've talked about content and our foundation, that is our solo scripture, our scriptural foundation for all things. Uh, we've discussed the order of worship in our liturgy episode, but today I want to chat about the other bits, the uh, the sensory pieces, the uh, the aesthetics of worship, I like to call it. Uh, when we talk about the aesthetics of worship, uh, I like to group it into three categories that I want to touch on uh, what we uh, what we hear, what we see, and then what we smell and taste as, as our third category. There is a rich tradition uh, in our churches of things that have been done in the past, things that continue to be done. New traditions are being uh, are being crafted all around what the worship space looks like and even feels like. Uh, If we take a step back and look at how things were done uh, uh, in in time and years gone by, we look at churches that were built facing east uh, so that the congregation would be reminded of the rising sun as they worshipped in the morning. Uh, We take a look at the stained glass so that those who were either uh, deaf or couldn't read would be able to see the stained glass and be taught about uh, the the Heilsgeschichte, the salvation history of uh, of the church, and and how God has worked to the benefit of His people uh, over over the years, and then we have our own components today. You know, in in the in the category of what we hear, uh, we have high end sound systems that reproduce the uh, the sound of the band, uh, but at the same time. We have uh, groups like the Worship Tutorials guys. We have those folks using Mainstage and Omnisphere and Worship Essentials that are using uh, pads to underline and to highlight certain pieces of the worship service. We are not that fancy here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We wouldn't know what to do with ourselves if we got locked into something like that.
2: So I led as, as a guest music leader at, a, uh, at Calvary Church here in Lincoln a couple of weeks ago, and it was just me. Uh, the rest of their musicians were were unavailable, and they reached out to me and asked if I'd be able to lead music for their uh, their contemporary or, or modern uh, worship service, and I happily obliged. Uh, but I wanted to fill out the space. I wanted to make the sensory piece of hearing more immersive, right, Seem more full. Now, this is both musical and worshipful, I, I would like to think. And so I, I did. I, I went out to—shout uh, uh, to, out to, to Brian Wall at Worship Tutorials. I, I went out there, and I, I bought one of their pad sets, and I put those underneath my playing. It was me, and acoustic guitar, and then an iPod playing the pads— and it filled out the space and made everything have a slightly more sincere, cohesive feel to it. Uh, so you cheated. It, yeah, oh, completely. <laughs> and I, I will I will own that every day of the week. This is the first time I've done that in a live scenario, and, and it worked awesome. The one thing that I didn't use it for uh, that a lot of people do, and they actually market it to this effect is to be a uh, an underline or, or, or background track uh, to prayers or preaching. Uh, something that we do on occasion here at Christ Lincoln. Uh, I was doing liturgy uh, prayers and creeds and things last weekend, and I, I leveraged that because we had some very some very uncomfortable prayers to pray Uh, the church lost a a beloved member of its family of faith recently and to make the prayer and to uplift the prayer and to highlight its importance of and the importance itself of talking to God I had our keyboardist continue a pad from the previous song underneath that prayer Uh, not only as the leader did it build me up as the one offering this prayer. Uh, but I believe from the perspective of the congregation, it expressed a sense of sincerity. And I would be curious to hear your thoughts on, on this piece, on how, how leveraging different uh, audible pieces can be used uh, to the end of highlighting the gospel and to giving glory to God and pointing people to Christ, which I, I think is, at the end of the day, really what these adiaphoric or these uh, these pieces that we have, have freedom to use should be used. I, I think that we, this is how we should use them in order to point people to Christ and to highlight the gospel. So I'd love to see and hear what you guys have done and seen in the past, maybe what you're doing now and your thoughts on it. Yeah, Bradley, we we do that pretty frequently here at Res, where
0: there's a prayer or a transition and you have either the keyboardist or the whole band or whatever keep going. Some people make the accusation of that being emotional manipulation and sure, some people do that. Like, there's no denying that, but what's your motivation when when you tell a keyboardist or even the whole band, Hey, just stay ambient behind me during this prayer or what have you. Uh,
1: You know, I think it's similar to what John is saying. It's always interesting to hear somebody like you, John, talk about that sort of thing as unusual for you and maybe for your church. At least that's the way it came across when you, when you said it is that to have a keyboard or pad underneath a time of prayer and, your thought was that, you know, these are, this is a a tough prayer for us to walk through because we've lost someone we love and, and that somehow helps. And, and I, I mean, I'll be honest enough to say that I haven't always been thoughtful about that sort of thing. I mean, I, I I said in the first podcast that I, I come from a Pentecostal charismatic tradition and having a keyboard behind a time of prayer, um, and things like that was just, that's just what we did. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about, um, even in a lot of African American churches, a pastor preaches and there's an organ behind them
2: the whole time, the
1: whole time. And and, Oh, definitely.
2: It's not just there. It's almost a soundtrack for the prayer. I, I had a friend in my college days. uh, It was one of our professors who would do this really cool, uh, arrangement of music where he would score the entire service from invocation to benediction, the whole thing with, with dynamic changes and tempo changes to emphasize different pieces. It was really cool. Sorry to interrupt. Continue.
1: No, that's okay. But in my background, at least my experience, none of that was ever scripted. Right. In fact, I, I, I just remembered, um, this was back in the early two thousands. Um, I was in a kind of a season of transition uh, as far as as ministry goes. Uh, I'd begun to work uh, a secular job. I'd been working with a church plant for several years and serving at the college that I attended. I had a job there in ministry. And those two things just came to an end. They were very seasonal, and I knew that from the get-go. And so I, I, I just got a secular job and was looking for the next ministry opportunity. And lo and behold, a friend of mine was a worship leader at a fairly large Baptist church, which, you know, at this time in my life, I did not have a whole lot of experience outside of the Pentecostal charismatic world. He's a worship leader at a pretty large Baptist church that had a, they were what I would call a blended church in terms of modern versus traditional music. He called me and he said, Hey, I've got a pianist that's out for a month. Would you be willing to come and play? And I was like, sure. So I went and I played at this church. And on one particular Sunday, we had finished the worship set, and the pastor came up to, to pray or to transition or something. He had some kind of word of encouragement for the church in that just this small little moment. We had just finished a song, and I just, without even thinking about it, I just kept playing. I kept playing. I never stopped, and I was attentive to what he was saying, and I... Adapted what I played to what, what was going on with him dynamically. Just Definitely. trying to be sensitive to what he was doing. And that's just, that was natural for me because I had always done that. And my friend, who was the worship leader and the pastor, came up to me after that service and were like, they were like, that was so awesome. He, they, I think one of them said, You played what he was trying to say. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, and, I was I,
0: I was ready for the exact opposite to come out of no, that store. They <laughs> absolutely flipped out at
1: you. but it was so new to them, and I remember thinking, "That's just not new to me. That's normative." And and that was maybe one of the first times that I began to think about what is it that we're actually doing there. And I, I think there is a biblical root for and a historical root in terms of church history for using these ambient um, external things like music, lighting, sound, even, and I know we're going to get to what we even taste and smell at, at, in this podcast to appeal to the senses. I think in order to highlight the truth of God and the mm-hmm. person of God and the person of Christ, I think that that is ultimately what we're doing. And, for me it's been a journey of discovering why i sometimes do what i was taught to do yeah um i you know i remember that there there have certainly been times when that can get very carnal uh even i think and and come off the rails as far as what we're trying to do i have multiple stories about that as well that maybe we'll get into but I th- yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting for me to talk about this because of my background, and um, I, I, I do think that we're often in a pendulum swing with these things of, you know, becoming too familiar, too complacent mm-hmm. in some ways, and then, you know, bringing, changing or bringing in new elements mm-hmm. in order to... Uh, reawaken the senses to the truth of God. Right, right. So.
0: so I did a I did a poll in the Facebook group Worship Guitar Sounds. So shout out to those guys for putting up with me. Um, where you know you kind of get uh, in today's modern evangelicalism. I've heard I've heard the term or the phrase used that we've we've traded the smells and bells of Roman Catholicism for hazers and lasers. <laughs> With fog machines and and fancy light shows, and and I uh, don't
2: th- I, I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but we'll get right. to that. We'll get to I'm that. Not, we'll get to I'm that.
0: not saying I'm not saying that. Um, and and the results were actually pretty interesting because we tend to think, uh, you know, if if you have if you have a good strong growing church, it basically has to look like a rock show. Uh, so I had three options in uh, in this poll, where of that. I had three options in this poll of how bright are your lights during worship, like during the actual musical part. There was bright, the lights are all the way on, there's no change, dimmed, they're right in the middle, or dark, and the only lighting is from the stage. Out of 71 people, only 18 said that the house lights were totally blacked out, Hmm. and then... 23 said that they stayed on as normal, and then 30, which is where I voted because that's what we do, uh, is kind of right in the middle, this nice, happy medium. Um, what do you guys think uh, about light levels during a worship service? Where should they be? Uh, should we keep it on and just say, hey, this is all corporate or should we black it out and say, hey, get intimate with Jesus? Or should we go somewhere in the middle and kind of encourage both?
2: So one of my favorite uh, catchphrases I, I stole from one of my uh, college professors is personal tradition is the strongest type of tradition. Uh, and so perhaps my, uh, my views on this will be influenced by that a little bit. So growing up uh, in, in my very traditional uh, liturgy based uh, chants, hymns, smells, bells, church, uh, the pastor did have the, the elders or ushers dim, uh, the lights in the sanctuary. There was a big mm-hmm. rheostat on the wall that, that, that would, you'd grab it. was the size of a dinner plate and you'd turn it down, uh, almost like uh, turning up the, the amp on the volume or the volume on the amp in the back to the future. Uh, when Marty plugs his guitar into <laughs> that, uh, it was the same, same size, you yeah. And he would dim the lights during the sermon. I always wondered why he did that. And I never actually got a, a explanation from him, uh, which, based upon his preaching style, I was surprised more people didn't fall asleep. Anyways, uh, <laughs> here, at, here at Christ Lincoln, our, our lights dim during the first song. So we don't do a worship set preaching sending song. We have music space throughout the entire service. Bradley, just like you guys did when you did your, uh, did your liturgical piece. Right. Uh, that we mentioned a couple weeks ago. So we dim the lights during our, our initial worship set of two songs. We, we dim the lights down during the first song and the lights stay half dim. Uh, sounds like just like you guys do uh, through the entire service, unless there's a reason to bring them up to to recognize a, a group of a group of people or we, we bring them up a little bit when uh, a baptismal family. Uh, is is coming to the st- coming to the platform, the stage, uh, whatever you'd like to call it. Um, I think it's it, it provides that. You, Cody, you called it a happy medium, where mm-hmm. it provides a sense of intimacy in a congregation that that honestly has five hundred people surrounding you in in a morning, uh, and it provides that sense of intimacy. But at the same time, it also is light enough. That the pastor, the speaker, the musicians, whoever, can still see the people who they're talking about and who they're shepherding and discipling in their faith walk. Uh, I, I think that having the lights all on, as as many more traditional congregations do, is perfectly fine as well. Um, all dark. I you know I, I would love to hear some discussion on on the uh, on the perceived benefits of that I don't think there's necessarily any inherent negatives that I can think of offhand uh, but I'd definitely be interested in hearing a proponent of a complete blackout in the house uh, uh, speak to that but uh, Bradley do you have any any background there yeah
1: I mean most of the people that that I've heard talk about or advocate for a total blackout have have you know, said things like we want to minimize distractions. Mm-hmm. We want, you know, we want people to be able to focus on what it is that's going on in the service, which is generally being led by uh, a person or a group of people on a platform, sure. uh, whether it's songs or prayers or what have you. So That's been the, the argument that I've heard most. Um, our approach, and you know, someone might want to uh, challenge my hermeneutic here, but I, <laughs> I, I think of two things from Scripture. I think of Jesus saying, "When you pray, go into your room and close the door." And and why would he Why would he say that? A because our our efforts to connect with God in prayer and in worship it's it's not about demonstrating or showing off. Um, it it it's personal. You know, there there mm-hmm. there there is a place for personal and even private uh, communion with God in prayer and scripture and in worship and in a worship service i think a sl- at least a slightly dimmed house with accentuate accentuating type lighting on the stage can help minimize the distraction of others definitely and fo- focus the person on what it is that we are singing talking about praying what have you to in order to focus on christ uh, and connect with God in that way, but at the same time, you know Hebrews says, "Don't forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, but in so doing, spur one another on toward mm-hmm, loving good right. deeds." So there is a, in my mind, there's a benefit to not totally eliminating our awareness of, even if it's in our periphery, of those around us. Right. Definitely. The, God himself calls to,
2: us to gather together.
1: Exactly. And so, if if there is a a dimming of the lighting in order to minimize distraction, but yet still leave room for me to be aware of the fact that I am worshiping with others. I'm praying alongside others that I am, you know, I forgive the Chris Tomlin reference, but I am (laughs) singing with others. How great is our God? I mean, that song is a, it's, it's a laterally directed song. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm in one sense singing to Cody beside me, how right. great is God? Definitely, right? And and so I want to be aware of the people around me in church. That's why you we know, go for a
2: balance. We talked about this uh, during the liturgy episode as well. And we're talking, you know, we're kind of uh, echoing a lot of the things we, we said then because the two are very, very important. Uh, you know, our liturgy uh, frames and uh, demonstrates what we believe. And so should uh, what we hear, what we smell, what we see, what we taste in worship. And when we were talking about uh, the creeds and confession of sins in the in the liturgy episode, that's not just us saying the Apostles' Creed uh, to God. He doesn't need us to tell him what we believe. He knows that. The Apostles' Creed or the Nicene or, or whatever, whatever it may be is to gather together with the whole voice of, of Christendom and to confess together that this is what we believe as a family of faith, as a community at, in Concord. And when we confess our sins, we're not just confessing them to God, we're confessing them to one another. I confess before God and my neighbor that I have sinned and thought, word, and deed, that we own it, that we own what we've done, and we own what we believe in front of not only our God, but in front of one another. And when we sing these songs, how great is our God, when we sing the songs uh, confessing our sins or praising God, we do so in the context of the community in which he has placed us uh and and this whole concept of what we do uh should reflect uh what we believe is, is the motivation for this entire episode and right. and really is the motivation for the entire history of Christian worship is that what we believe should influence what or or should uh influence what we do and what we do should highlight what we believe um if, if Cody is, can you speak to the yes please
0: yes yes i can speak to that Uh, Ephesians 5 says and don't get drunk with wine so when I go to hymns and hops (laughs) like last week's episode I'm not getting drunk Uh, though there was that one time I I came to church when I had a a head cold and my throat was really sore so I did have a shot of bourbon before I came and played just so I've got, I can I've got a, You know, I've got a story How I'm about that.
1: sucking back on Grandpa's old cough medicine. Yeah, a little here. bit, a little bit. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> it says, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and me- making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another
2: mm-hmm.
3: out of reverence for Christ. Oh, I love it. I love
0: it. Where, mm-hmm. where um, I mean the biggest mega church around here is probably new spring, right? Probably. And, and they're, mm-hmm. they're Orthodox obviously. And, uh, you know, the dream center with Angeles temple out in Los Angeles. So I, we went to their, uh, church service on that Thursday. And obviously both of those churches black out everything. And it's just stage lighting. Uh, and you, you can't see anybody <laughs> except basking in the glow of, of the stage. Um, And on, you know, it's it's interesting to me, and I'm not trying to say it's a sin issue by any means. So, no, none of our listeners should hear that coming out of this. But they often say it's to eliminate distractions. But at the same time, when you've got monster strobe lights going on and all kind of fog machines, and there's nothing wrong with fog machines; they make lights look better. It's just a fact. um, And all manner of LED panels like how is that not distracting
2: Sparkle, uh, that's, spark cannon.
0: it sounds kind of like a, a, a double spark
2: <laughs> Good um, you know, and then, and then
0: uh, at yeah. the same time uh, the one another gets lost in that I couldn't when we were at the Dream Center uh, this summer I couldn't hear myself sing Hmm. I, my throat was sore by the end of the service mm-hmm. because I was trying to hear myself and trying not to be off pitch uh, <laughs> where we even talked last week in the hymns. And man, the stresses episode. of being
2: a musician,
0: man. Right. Right. <laughs> not wanting to sound like butt when you're singing in church um, where we we talked about uh, how cool it is when everything drops out and we do an acapella verse or yes. when they open acapella with the doxology. Uh, when when you hear everyone, it reminds you it's not just you and Jesus. It's you know, that, and that's one of the big problems with American Christianity is it's hyper individualized. It's not just it, that is definitely vital. It is you and Jesus, but it's not just you and Jesus. It's you with a family that you've been adopted
2: into. Yes. Mm. I mean, we, we see alluded to in, in, uh, uh, revelation, but at the same time, it's reflected in the formal liturgy of the, of the Lutheran church and, uh, and others, uh, this, this portion that would come before, uh, before the, uh, the distribution of, of the Lord's supper distribution of communion after the words of institution, uh, called the proper preface. And a part of that is in my favorite part, uh, and, and in, in many, Circumstances, it will be immediately followed by a very, very powerful uh, canticle or, or spiritual song, whatever it may be, and it goes mm-hmm. like this: with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven to forevermore praising you and say si- and singing, uh, and then it's usually the song to is holy, 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 and its power. Not only just the song or how it works or how it's presented, but the knowledge in the context that what we do is not just of ourselves in this room, uh, not just with those uh, surrounding us, but with all the company of heaven praising and magnifying his glorious name. And, you know, this what you talked about, the complete blackout, I think exemplifies how these aesthetics can demonstrate and teach and reflect the beliefs. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but in a good deal of the Pentecostal uh, tradition, it's a very personal faith. It's a very it's a very personally focused. Very much and so, very and much so, so, and so, turning the life off, the lights off, is a non-issue because it is very personal. It is it is you and what's going on in stage, which which is the uh, which is the preaching of of the word, which is uh, singing songs of praise. And you know that is you know turning the lights off is is indicative of what they you know what they believe. So let's let's move from how we see things and how things are illuminated to what we see when we look at a, a stage, a platform, a chancel area, uh, you know in in the traditional uh, uh, tabernacles and temples, we would have this, uh, I don't remember the exact the exact names of everything, but you'd have essentially the area for the people. Uh, you'd have the holy space, and then the holy of holies, which the 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 priest, the high priest, was only able to go into you know once per year. Uh, we'd have to pass through this this curtain, and that was the curtain that was torn in two when Christ. came. Uh, gave up his breath and, and cried, "This, you know, it is finished, uh, signifying that we now have an audience with the Father because of the merit of Christ, that there is no more barrier between us and the Holy of Holies that Christ has made that way for us. Uh, that is strikingly different from the design of, of many modern worship spaces, especially those worship spaces who use more modern instrumentation uh, rather than those who uh, do a hymnal organ-led uh, service. They, they still very much have a communion rail that goes around this area that they call the chancel, on which is, a, is an altar, uh, a cross, a pulpit, a lectern, uh, all, all there in kind of one uh, neat uh, package. But that's something that is that is missing uh, for better or for worse. I'm not going to make that call, but it is something that is notably not there when we look at uh, anything from the, the big mega churches from uh, uh, to even even smaller, uh, even smaller kind of uh, community service, you know, community churches where you have a stage with people. the The, the pastor comes out, shares a message. But when this, but when the pastor leaves, when the band leaves, what we're left with is just an empty platform made with a few amps and a and a, a drum riser. Um, one thing that I had been very uh, dedicated to here at at Christ Lincoln was making sure that we had a. A cross on stage. Now that's, you know, that is part of my personal tradition. It is part of the personal tradition of, of many people. Uh, some people may consider that uh, to be uh, something like a, a second commandment violation. That's not what we're talking about today. Um, that's an entirely different episode altogether. <laughs> completely. Uh, but for me, as someone who's, who's, who studied and had passion for this, Having a cross in the center rather than a screen, rather than the drums right in the center, whatever it may be, points us to Christ visually. So you walk into a space, everything's kind of angled towards the front and right there in focus is, is the symbol of our redemption. Uh, and that, that lights me up, that, gives, you know, that fires me up and, and makes me excited. And if it's not there, for whatever reason, uh, it feels like something's missing, that there's a certain amount of intention or purpose uh, to the space and its design that's that's not there anymore. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? What do you guys do? I mean, I know you're in the middle of a renovation of your primary workshop space. I don't know if that's completed yet or not. Uh, what's your take on this?
1: Well, well very similar to yours. I, I mean, honestly, our the, the worship space that we're working on and it, it's going to be pretty much like what you described I mean there there's not an altar we don't have any stained glass windows um, we do have a cross and it, it, that cross is there for the same reason that you mentioned um, It's it's been something that we've had with us for a long time um, but I agree with you about the modern worship space um, that it in in many ways is stripped bare of a lot of the tangible symbolism that's been true or been present in the church for centuries. And, um, I don't know that uh, hearing you talk about it that way, John, it, it it makes me think about, you know, what kind of loss that might be. Mm -hmm. Um, because, and, and I can't say that I've, I've devoted enough thought and attention to that, but you know, keeping the cross in in the center of our service in our sanctuary has been something that has been very important to us Um, and i i think that in some way or another we have to tangibly and continually remind people that this we're all a part of a larger story we've all been invited into a larger story um, one of the things we talk about here at Res a lot is that, you know, becoming a Christian is not inviting God into your story. It's God inviting you into his. Mm. And and that story has a rich history. And um, that, you know, and, and church history and the value that we place on that um, is really just how we see the hand of God working through the couple of thousand years since, you know, canonical history um, that, you know, being being you know even the stained glass windows it wasn't until you know i don't know several years ago that i even really understood what that was all about you know most Mm. of the churches i'd been in had generic stained glass windows and uh we had altars that we occasionally went and prayed um you know and knelt there but um yeah you know it's i think that's i I think that's something that's lost on the modern worship church and Mm. and i'm not going to sit here and act like Res Church is
2: getting it all right there because I don't know. Well, who of we course. Are. I mean, I, I don't think anybody is. I do think there's, uh, there is an inherent risk in having too much stuff, too much symbolism. Uh, You're you right. Know, and
0: we've, we've had kind of yeah. uh, the last 500 years in Protestantism and even in Pentecostalism, you could say, since Pente- Pentecostalism did come out of Protestantism, is we've kind of had an overreaction against Rome where roman catholic churches tend to be very ornate uh and so especially in the time of the puritans they would strip down uh all like everything (laughs) like they were really plain buildings and there's still you know a lot of uh presbyterian southern baptist uh churches out there etc uh, that are, that are very plain for better or for worse. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time we have to, we have to recognize, uh, like you said, Bradley, this is, you know, it is an ancient faith that goes back 2000 years and, and our spiritual forebears were meeting in catacombs by candlelight, (laughs) lest they be murdered.
2: (laughs) Definitely. Um,
0: so, so if we want, I mean, that's, that's an entirely other angle that you could talk about with dimming the lights is making sure you don't get killed um (laughs) but then then you move into kind of that middle ages uh architecture where church buildings are intentionally built to look like a cross from the sky uh where i mean and that's when it started to get a little more ornate and now we have this reaction so there's no There's no hard, fast, hey, your church building must look like this. It's really all about the heart behind it is, are you trying to point people toward Jesus? For sure. Or are you trying to point people toward an experience? Which is is why I've never been a fan of calling a worship service a worship experience. Like, there is something experienced. There absolutely is something experienced. But it's not... uh, do I even make sense right now?
2: <laughs> yeah, you make you make perfect sense. I think the beauty of of calling it a, a worship service, and this is going in, into the weeds a, a little bit, and and kind of goes back to, uh, you know, the the what worship is episode at the very beginning, in that it, it's not only, uh, you know, us gathering together to, to sing to God and, and to listen to a, a little message, it is God serving us by mm. not only. Uh, Motivating us to raise our voices and our and and to return our, his gift of song to him, uh, but he's serving us by by giving us the very life giving word through through the preaching, through the singing, uh, giving us baptism, giving us uh, the the Lord's Supper, uh, and serving us through that so that we may be empowered and built up and inspired to serve others around us. And so that's the beauty of the, of calling it a worship service. I think
1: yeah you know, if I could just one one thing here um it's really interesting to me um that there seems to be in in the generation that's coming up this desire to recapture yeah. some rudeness yeah. i mean I think even this hymns and hops phenomenon um where you you have people gathering to sing hymns. You know, it, lots and lots of young people are gathering to sing hymns. And, and there is this really this move. I mean, I went through what I called the worship wars of yep. the 90s, yep. um, and which is what gave rise to churches having a traditional, blended, contemporary, mm-hmm. modern, um, you know, punk rock, all, all, all these varieties of <laughs> services Church trying to make everybody happy. And-, and now there seems to be this swing back to really recapture some of the timeless elements. Right. Uh, that that really point to the rootedness of our faith as opposed to this, uh, you know, the rock and roll concert venue, which is not wrong in and of itself, but if it's not somehow, um, if, if, if people aren't pointed towards, you, if that's not used to be pointed towards our rootedness in some way, I, I can't help but wonder if, if we're not going to see the pendulum swing back the other way um, at some point in the not-too-distant future.
2: I wouldn't be surprised. No, I don't, I don't think that's beyond the uh, the realm of possibility at all. Um, you know, talking about symbolism and, and things like that, one of the experiences that, that I had in my younger years was, Uh, learning about the Eastern Orthodox tradition where everything is full, not only of symbolism, but of meaning. And it's explained just like you took the time to explain during your liturgical service, why we do this stuff, what, you know, what is it Mm -hmm. doing? What is it guiding us towards on, on our journey? Uh, So in the Eastern Orthodox church, even to the point of how they hold their hands during a benediction uh, has, has meaning the two natures of Christ, the three persons of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. Uh, They, they have a, a blessing, Uh, a blessing cross on occasion. The iconography is strong uh, with the Eastern Eastern Orthodox Church, Uh, not because in and of itself it necessarily has any power, although there is some Eastern mysticism mixed in there, but uh, because of the meaning that they have in it and they explain, uh, they use tons and tons of things to point people to Christ. And that's kind of where I want to go to wrap us up here is what we taste and what we smell. Uh, so we alluded to earlier the smells and bells of Roman Catholicism, uh, where uh, you'd have the censer swinging on the chain, and you'd ring the bell, and you know, uh, let's 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 usher in uh, the spirit, so to speak. Uh, well done in in, in uh, some traditions still, and and for some special services, Good Friday, for instance, incense is still very, uh, very popular. The for those liturgical traditions, the service of vespers or evening prayer, uh where uh, you know, let my prayer rise before he's incense, the lifting up of, of my hands is the evening sacrifice. Uh you know, one thing that when Christ Lincoln was starting its contemporary service about 12 years ago, uh, they call it Room 211. Uh, so if you've heard me talk about 211 in the previous uh, episodes, that's our contemporary, quote, quote, service. Uh, one thing that they did at the very beginning, and, and this meaning has been lost and it's become just tradition to us, is at the very beginning, they used the smell of baking cookies. And we still bake cookies fresh every single morning, chocolate chip cookies fresh every single every single Sunday. Uh They use that to make the smell of the space inviting and comfortable Uh, because we realize that not only do we invite God who's already there, you know, but still, but we invite each other to come and join in the comfort of being in a God who who loves us. A God who keeps us accountable, but a God who loves us. Uh, The feel was. Or, or the intention and how it was explained uh, back in those days was that uh, they wanted it to be just as comfortable as walking into your grandma's house after she'd been baking all day, and there's a certain sweetness uh, to that. Um, I didn't really buy it when I when I was a, a pious young uh, Lutheran, but uh, you know now I think there's some beauty in it. Uh, I mean, how have how have you guys uh, explored? Uh, the The scent, I mean taste obviously you know we have the lord's supper the uh, the wine uh the grape juice in some circles the the bread uh, but how have you guys explored or seen explored these concepts of of scent and taste in worship
0: well that's that's honestly something that we haven't really even thought of, you know um in any of the churches that I've ever been in, um I know I haven't attended. Uh, but I know that Elevation Church, in all criticisms of Stephen Furtick and his friendships with the likes of <clears throat> Joyce Meyer and T.D. Jakes uh, aside, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm told that they have a custom scent that they pump through their vents. So when you attend an Elevation campus, you know you're at Elevation. Uh, since, Interesting. Sen- since the sense of smell is so tied to to memory... And oh, and, I, and I can attest to that even with with coaching baseball is there's there's a baseball smell <laughs> that yeah. o- other than the yeah, smell of, of, <laughs> other than the smell of sweat, um, but that smell of dirt plus freshly cut grass plus even the chalk you put down plus yep. the smell of the leather of your glove mm-hmm. plus stuffing sunflower seeds in your lip. Plus, <laughs> all these other things that just kind of add up. And if you're at maybe a minor league ballpark, you you smell the really crappy hot dogs that they're cooking. Yep. But at the same time, like you know you're at a ball game.
2: Oh, bowling um, alley? Bowling alley smells like a bowling alley no matter where you go. <laughs> That's
0: so true. A shop,
2: an, an indoor shopping mall smells like an indoor shopping mall. It smells like, it. like a <laughs> whole lot of carpet and old people. Well, and, and, a, and a little bit of cookies. There's always that cookie company. There's always yep. somewhere hawking yep. popcorn and, and pretzels. It doesn't yep. matter if you're in the far, if you're in Sears and the food court's 10 miles away, you smell it and it smells the same and you know where you're at. That's true.
1: I think all churches think about this. They just don't maybe always realize they're thinking about it. I right. think, um, you know, the sort of the modern phenomena of, of churches that serve coffee um, mm. I think there's something to that. I I think maybe even something subconsciously instinctive that we know, okay, not only drinking coffee, uh, but the smell of coffee tends to invoke this feeling of I'm with other people yes and we're completely. going to have conversation and that's comfortable that's comforting even people that don't like the taste of coffee tend to like the smell of it so can we Definitely. start serving
0: bacon just so i can smell bacon when we go <laughs> on mean, stage i mean it's it's it, it's it, you're right
1: cody that smells uh smells are more attached to memories than almost any other yeah. sense mm-hmm. sense that we have and so i i, I think that like in our church and in a lot of modern churches, if you start talking about incense and things of that nature, people are going to look at you like a cow at a new gate. They're going to be like, what are you even talking about? That seems, you know, Catholic or just I don't even know what the purpose of that would be. And yet we all know the power of smells. And I think um, I'm for it. If there oh, is yeah. if there is an you know, an intentional effort to to help people understand why we're doing this and that the why behind it is biblically rooted
2: in Christ centered. And, and to maybe Definitely. cover up the pungent aromas from that <laughs> one you know, bathroom I, in that I, exactly. oh, exactly. I did exactly. see a post on worship. I think it was worship leaders collective uh, the other day. Someone was asking about how to cover up smell in a sanctuary. Cause it something that it got so many complaints that that smelled so bad. You know, there's, there's a lot of criticism, uh, Directed at churches who do the coffee thing, who do the donuts, the, the cookies, whatever mm-hmm. it might be, uh, and who may be proponents of of incense on the regular, uh, stating that you know this isn't a place of culture. This is a this is a place of God. Which yes, it is a place of God. But we have to remember the concept of Emmanuel, God coming to us mm-hmm. to be with, to be among His creation. And so I think that when we bring things like like coffee. Uh, into into a church, good coffee. I mean, churches have always had coffee, but like good coffee, um, <laughs> it, it isn't isn't necessarily. Oh, come come get coffee. People are going to go to Starbucks if they want a coffee. Like they're not going to come. Like oh, I'm thirsty. I'm gonna go to church. You know, it's 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 not a gimmick Keith to get still people gonna have in the door IV from Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, it's not a gimmick to get people in the door. It's it's a a, a piece to show us that once again this is a community, a community of faith. We are, we are social together. We are caring for one another because Christ has cared for us. And something as simple as a cup of coffee, something as simple as uh, a cross on stage or the smell of baking cookies or, uh, or, the, or the lights uh, dimmed to just, just, just the right spot all of those things can culminate together and be used to the glory of God to point his people to him. And I think that's the payoff of, of this episode as we get down to it, is that whatever it, whatever it be, smells and bells or, or phasers and lasers that we use in worship, uh, and I do use a phaser in worship on the regular quizzes. <laughs> you do you, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Um, is, it although, the, is it the EVH model? <laughs> it is It is not boss boss, phasers for life until Westminster effects builds one. Get on that. Anyways, that's going to be, um, you know, whether regardless of what it is, so long as it's not just there because so long as it's not a gimmick, we don't need gimmicks in the modern church. We need substance. And if we can use these things for substance, that's awesome. Right. The push, the pushback that that's so often there is, well,
0: this is a gimmick just to get people in the door and it's and it's typically rooted in a pushback against the decisionism that's so prominent in american christianity or even finneyism uh where we can we can talk about charles finney and his jacked up theology another time but you get what i mean is but but for sure
1: you know finney it's hard to say it 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 it's it's sort of morphed over the years sure and and i think yeah. in my tradition and And I think this is this, this grows out of Fininianism. The whole argument behind sight and sound, mm-hmm. you know having the lights and the smoke and the was that we we live in a sight and sound generation, right, and so we've got to appeal to that in order to compel them Amen. or appeal to right. them for the sake of the gospel and i think that's a I think that's a wrong approach right I, I think that what we've talked about here today is a a usage of these things for the sake of rooting people in the story, not mm-hmm. because we're just trying to appeal first and right. foremost to the, the whims and wishes of the day. We're trying to utilize tools and resources, whether it be stained glass windows or lights, either works as long as the why is understood and communicated.
2: And, Definitely. and I think
1: I think that that what you're hitting on is these things become essential for the wrong reasons right and that's a exactly problem.
2: for sure i think at the at the root of all things we root them in scripture and we point them to jesus amen and at that yes. i think it's time that we uh we take a look at our uh, recommended reading for the week cody what do you have for us well uh i was
0: kind of thinking you know i like to throw curveballs every now and then and, and often like we were just talking about uh their their maybe good things for the wrong reasons and you know we we rely more heavily on things like marketing and focus groups and social trends and stuff like that instead of hey what does what, what does god want us to do uh you know there's i'm sure many people pray about what what uh what they do in in a new worship space Uh, But a lot of them, you know, we'll just go straight to, well, what's trendy? Um, So my recommended reading this week is Praying, Finding Our Way Through Duty to Delight by J.I. Packer. And there's even a line in there where he's basically like, yeah, I'm not any good at this. And when I read that, I was like, what hope is there if J.I. Packer is bad (laughs) at prayer? (laughs) (laughs) So Praying by J.I. Packer. Bradley, what do you have?
1: Uh, I'm going to recommend a book called Turning Points by Mark Knoll. Um, oh, yeah. Great book, fantastic book. Um, it's it, it, we A lot of what we've talked about today is centered around this need for us to be biblically rooted um, and also rooted in the history and tradition of the church that is itself biblically rooted or grows out of that. And Mark Knoll does a great job, I think, of um, just... Demonstrating that, you know, the story that we've been invited to—the story of God—is not just a Western phenomenon. It's it's a it's a global movement. It's a worldwide movement that um, is rooted in Scripture and has there have been significant moments in the life of the church that reveal the providence of God and and the plan of God that we understand from Scripture. You know, case in point, he starts with the. Um, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and mm-hmm. the, the exile of, of, of the Jews out of the city.
0: Kind of a big deal. Kind
1: of a big deal. And, um, and then he, he just goes from there, and I think he hits 14 major points in church history. And I just think that um, in an effort for us to be more rooted in things like what we've talked about today, I just think a greater awareness of, of church history and that we're all a part of a larger whole and a larger story is a good thing. Absolutely. So, Holy turning, crap, yes. turning Points by Mark Knoll. Yes, Love we it. need
0: more church history in the world.
2: Well, guys, I'm going to be honest. I do not have recommended reading for today. What I was quite a bit. Uh, I am totally depraved, if you will, Got uh, it. and I know you will. Uh, so instead of that, I'm going to take just a bit of time. Uh, Cody, you mentioned something about, uh, uh, before church one day shot a whiskey, grandpa's cough syrup, right? (laughs) So when I was, when I was working at a church up in uh, Northeastern Nebraska, it was Easter Sunday and I had the worst sinus infection of my life. The entire right side of my face was numb. Uh, I was on, I was on a slew of drugs. It was ridiculous, but I still had to do it. And we did four services. On that Sunday, four services, six, eight, nine, and eleven, or, or something like that, um, and mm-hmm. we had a member of that congregation up there. He was a, a pharmacist, but a special kind called a compounding pharmacist, which means they're licensed to make their own combination of medication. Oh uh, and, man, and, and I can and see where this is going. Uh, an apothecary, almost. <laughs> I that, that was how I, I always called referred to him. So he's like, one sec, let me run back to the pharmacy. As soon as he heard my voice, he was like, oh, we got to do something. So he runs back to his pharmacy and brings me this little vial. And it was so old school, this glass vial with this paper thing. And you got to unscrew the little cap. And he's like, take a sip of this, gargle it and swallow it. It'll be cleared up in no time. And it worked. (laughs) But this was a bad sinus infection. And this was about, oh, a five ounce, five ounce bottle or so. And so before and after each service, a little swig and, and got it down. And by the end I was wasted. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and I, I hit it. The, uh, Pastor Lee didn't know, but then I was like, I walked him. I was like, Bob, what is in this? And he's like, Oh, it's, it's just a, a simple uh, combination of, of menthol and, and honey, simple syrup and, uh, and alcohol. I'm like, how much, I just, if you were to put a number on it, like, what What proof would it be? <laughs> oh, oh, probably, probably 115 proof. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so... Uh, I know there's lots of, uh, proponents for, uh, you know, the honey ginseng teas, the, the throat coat, this, you know, whatever, uh, peppermint schnapps is my recommended uh, <laughs> beverage for the, <laughs> we'll the vocally challenged schnapps. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. um, so I am really excited for our, uh, recommended artist, uh, for this week or our, uh, our Westminster artist, Cody, would you like to introduce him and, and send us on our way?
0: Our friend Jacob Johnson out of here in Greenville is a killer guitarist, and he has started a Kickstarter campaign to fund his new EP. So this is a demo off that upcoming EP called F. Scott Fitzgerald. So here you go, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Leave a five-star review. See you next week.
3: Well, you're staring in the rear view, but you're not looking back. Just putting your makeup on. The loose change in the ashtray Saving for the tollway Rattles like a tambourine To the rhythm of every song And the road says Welcome home You got an old soul But you're not alone We're gonna sing All those songs about highways And freedom And make up A few of our own Make up Viral Moving like the ever-changing scenery around us But constant as a coffee stain on an old gas station map If you're looking for your roots Kick the dust off of your boots Throw your suitcase in the back And the road says welcome home You got an old soul, but you're not alone Gonna sing all those songs about highways and freedom. Make up a few virals. 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 Your notebook Give me with my tobacco You're writing poetry I'm just blowing smoke Tell me again about F. Scott Fitzgerald And I'll tell another Corny joke And the road says Welcome home You got an old soul But you're not alone We're gonna sing All those songs About highways and freedom Up a few viral our Make up a few of our own. Make up a few of our own. Make up a few of our own. Make up a few Make up. Make up a few of our